Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016. That's right, I'm back with another interview for the Game of Crowdfunding, and of course we're doing this thanks to people like Don over on Patreon. Thank you very much, Don, for supporting us on Patreon and allowing us to continue to do the interviews. It was greatly appreciated. So... What we're going to do this evening is we're going to talk to the second half of somebody that's or a partnership that's been interviewed on the Game of Crowdfunding before. So uh, I will let our guest tell us which part is the better half, and, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so with that, who is joining me on Skype tonight? Hey, Jeff, it's Diane Sauer from Shoot Again Games. I'm the better half. I don't think anyone would argue that. <laughs> like I, I, I said to to Nick, I said that we're sending in the we're going to send in the A team this time. <laughs> That's right. So, and we've get we get the full experience, right? Because Nick sat down with Paul, right? <laughs> and now uh, Diane is sitting down with me. So we've got both interviewers. And both interviewees on the show. Yep, that's the A team, right? Right, there, Jeff. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, of course, you know, I have my awesome, you know, hard hitting journalist questions that I start with all the time, and and that make people cry. So, have you prepared yourself? Um, no, of course not. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, we of course like to ask. Uh, besides making games, unless that is your full-time job. And you can be as general or specific as you need to be, but what do you do for a living? I think I'm going to be somebody that, that, that you've not heard this job before. My job, I own a small business restoring vintage pinball machines. Oh, yes. The full-size nice. arcade ones, the old, the old, you know, the, not the super old ones, but from like the late seventies forward. Yes. And I, I, if I remember right, Nick kind of brought that up as well when he was talking to Paul. And then I, has there been some cross communication between you guys and Ryan Cowler? Cause I know Ryan is a huge pinball fanatic and I, collects I think, them. I think we, yeah, I think we started following each other on Twitter. Yeah. Fear, fierce punch, right? <laughs> yeah. Sounds right. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I know he's huge into, uh, pinball machines and. And so that was kind of cool when I heard that when, when Nick was on with Paul. So how did you get into doing that? I grew up, Nick and I both are of the age. We grew up like during, during the late, you know, the seventies, eighties. So that was the cool place to be. There wasn't all obviously internet and all these other things. The place to go was the arcade. That was where you, you hung out and, and you hung with your friends, played games and that in the pizza place, which was almost <laughs> always next door, always next door or at very least had a machine in it. Right, at the very least. So I always enjoyed it. Flash forward, whatever, 30 years, and I got a bonus from the job I, I was working at at the time, and it was an unexpected one. So I decided to finally buy a pinball machine because I'd always thought about it because you don't really see them anymore. And once I got one, I pretty much realized there are things wrong with it and how do you fix it? So I basically taught myself how, how, to, how to fix and restore them. That is awesome. So there are probably... Quite a few people that didn't realize that might have been their dream job that could potentially now think of it as their dream <laughs> job. <laughs> it's it's not quite as glamorous as you might think. <laughs> is is anybody's dream job really as glamorous as they think it is? Yeah, well, I guess that's true. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It always still has job in the title, so 
Right. But I do say one of the things, the, the greatest things, because I used to be a corporate, I was a corporate manager for, for, for years. And one of the greatest things is like when you're a corporate manager, you never seem to produce anything. It seems like you have reports, you have projects, but they get done and you go on to the next one, you know, with this, it's like when it's done, like I've taken something that was, you know, sitting in a barn somewhere and I've made somebody like really happy. People are thrilled when they, when I'm done, it's like they're like kids again. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah, that is awesome. All right. Well, now that I've uh, kind of veered us off topic from okay, my, yeah, yeah. my warm-up questions, but <laughs> anybody that listens to me knows that's exactly what I do. So we're par for the course, actually. All right. <laughs> so uh, the game of crowdfunding is part of All Us Geeks. So, of course, we have to ask, what makes you a geek? Oh, but almost, I, I pretty much almost everything I, I do besides, obviously, I mean, look at my job for one thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that. I've always been a collector of all kinds of things. I've got like uh, movie posters. That's, I mean, original movie posters that I started collecting back in the, uh, the late seventies, early eighties. I collect non-sports cards, which I think they call them entertainment cards now, like basically old cards that are not sports cards. You know, they're like the old mm. Batman cards yeah. or Wild West or Tarzan, like mainly artwork stuff. It's pre- that, that's pretty cool. Mars Attacks obviously is a big one that you would know. All right. And then our follow up is, you know, we always tell people you can geek out about anything. Uh, it just matters your level of passion for it. So do you have any like geek or geek level passions for something that the typical person would not consider geek related? I would guess probably cryptozoology. I don't think that's generally something that's Greek that, that the people would consider geek related, you know, like, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, you know, unknown creatures, that kind of stuff has always fascinated me. I think you're walking a fine line there. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> but we'll accept the answer today. <laughs> no, that's, that's that's interesting. So you you uh you grew up on the the cool shows that we used to have where you didn't get to run right out to the internet and debunk something. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like it, it, the classic being in search of with Leonard yep. Nimoy. <laughs> Uh, and what was it? Oh, what was the other one? It wasn't Nimoy, but was it strange something? I think. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I cannot. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. So now, so now I've done exactly what every podcaster is very good at, and then people don't understand that it's actually a talent, and that's to get on the mic and completely purge your brain so that half your listening audience is yelling at you for how stupid you are <laughs> for not remembering what you're talking about <laughs> and for not coming right to your your head. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but all, all those awesome shows. And again, it was that, that time where everything was possible. It seemed right. so plausible and we couldn't run out and check on our computer and, and see right. how things were already debunked I, and all that stuff. Right. And you could, I mean, you saw Bigfoot on the six million dollar man. I mean, you know, he had to be real. <laughs> so it was our version of it was on the internet. It had to be real, it had to be true. Right. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was on the six million dollar man. It had to be true. It's like, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, n- I never thought of us having our we we it was on the internet. It had to be true moment before the internet. But you're you're totally right. <laughs> we saw it on the TV. They can't be lying to us. Right? Come on, <laughs> Le- Leonard Spock wouldn't lie, right? <laughs> okay, so you talked about how you worked in the co- corporate environment, and then you got into again somebody out there's dream job of repairing pinball machines. Where do you decide, you know what, let's make some tabletop games? Well, Nick and I both were gamers from high school, which was a long time ago now. Um, 
So, you know, we're talking mm, late seventies where I walked into, I, I don't, when I was a kid, I played with like all the classic board games, but I did play. I remember my uncle had brought over risk, you know, which was a, a little bit more advanced than like, you know, the kids games. And I liked it. And, um, I just got to this age where I went into a, a shop, a hobby shop, which back then they had T-shirts. That was it was like a T-shirt and hobby shop. <laughs> yeah, that was the big thing. You know, getting like monogram T-shirts, and they had this whole shelf of all these different games. They had lots of these little micro games that were like two or three dollars. So I'm looking through these things, and I see things like the first one I actually bought was called Sticks and Stones. It was by Metagaming, and it and I. Picked it up. I bought that. And shortly after that, I bought Intruder, uh, which is like an alien simulation game. I figured, tried to figure out how to play it. Couldn't figure it out. But I had a part-time job where it just so happened it was a summer job. And one of the other people that were there was a teacher who happened to be into gaming. And he read the rules and he taught me my first game. Nice. That is awesome. So from there, we, we you know, I started getting my friends into it. And before you know it, uh, we started a game group. Well, we gamed a lot, a ton before, you know, before we kind of grew up. But, but once we grew up, we still had a Sunday game group, which we still have today. It started in 1982 and we've been meeting every Sunday since then. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Same group, just maybe some new members well, every once in a while. Uh, well, yeah, some, some of them, I mean, there's always the, the main, the main couple core members, but then we've had people that move away, people that come in for a few years. Uh, one of the, one of our main members, our core members now is, uh, Jerry, who is, is, uh, Jim, my, my, one of my best friends from college, his, uh, little brother. And when we started gaming, he would, you know, we'd, we'd go to Jim's house sometime and his, his brother would come out in little footy pajamas. <laughs> So that that's how long it's been. I can remember it's like, you know, now he's got gray hair. Okay. I remember I remember him in footy pajamas. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I think I I kind of remember like I, I played all of the staples as well. Obviously, almost every house had them back in the day, but I remember right. you know, Dark Tower yeah, kind of cool. drew me away from that stuff. And then when the first group I met that actually played D and D, and um, actually before that, my grandmother brought, bought me the Red Box set. Oh wow, that's cool! And so I stayed up like I was I was visiting her for the summer, and she bought me the Red Box set, and I stayed up that that entire night reading everything in that Red Box set, and of course coloring <laughs> it, coloring in my dice with the crayons. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I had one of those. I, I had one of those sets. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then I met a group that actually played and that kind of steered me away from board games for the most part until I kind of fell into starting Rochester Gamers Community, which is now, what is that, 10 years or so ago or more maybe now? And then I nice. suddenly got heavily back into board games. Right. <laughs> so it's that's, that's awesome that you kind of have that connection and have been able to maintain it for so for such a oh yeah well time. we went through that same in the beginning we, we did some board games and then we got into the role playing we did that for years we you know we, and we we every but what we would do is when we didn't have time to to write a module we'd fill it in with a board game yes so you know that's the hobby side of things so where where is there your moment where you go you know what? It's I, I would like to not only create my own games, but maybe even one step farther into not only do I want to create my own games, but I'm willing to look at this from the business side of gaming. For me, it was actually in the uh, in the 80s. Um, it, I'm a huge 
fan of the George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead trilogy. Okay. That's, that's that, you know, I saw Dawn of the Dead actually in the theaters in seven, in 79 or whatever it was, when he came out. Um, and that really, (laughs) that was it. I I really was, I was into the zombie thing decades before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I really liked the night of the night of the living dead too. And I had come up with an idea and more so in the eighties, I think now simulations are just not, not very popular, but I had the idea to, to do a simulation of night of the living dead. I thought it was a perfect idea for a simulation because you have characters trapped in a secluded area, right? And you have an outside force. And so I literally sat down and I wrote and drew a map and I made this game. And I really thought about getting it published because my thinking was business wise is like, boy, if I can get the Night of the Living Dead license, even, even if I can't do that great selling it, it's going to still be collectible. So I might still sell them as collectibles if it doesn't go so well. But unfortunately, of course, back then there was not, there was not any of this print on demand or all these printers with you know, like, so like the internet to connect with people or any of that kind of stuff. So looking into it, it, it just seemed like, insurmountable it basically came down to you know i would have to put out i forget how much it was like sixteen thousand dollars in 1988 money um you know to print whatever the print run was of us you know a couple of thousand or it was some crazy number i'm thinking i am going to have a garage full of many living dead games that i'm going to be hauling around for the rest of my life because even collectible those are just not good i mean it's going to take forever. So it wasn't, it wasn't doable. So I always did fool around and I wrote other games. I'm actually, even before that, my friend and I wrote our own role playing system, uh, that we played for a year. We played that for like a dozen years, the role playing system that we wrote. Anyway, um, around 2012 or 13, I started thinking again. I had this one game that I'd been working on for a long time. It was really great. And, one of my friends on Facebook had a project on Kickstarter, which I had never heard of. And so I went and I backed his project and I'm looking at this. I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. As I started digging deeper, this may be doable now. And that was really the start of me, like making that leap into, okay, let, let's do this. Let's finally actually make these reality. That's cool. And there's actually two things in there. I think that were kind of interesting that you brought up if you were thinking at that time that most people don't necessarily think of. And I thought it was kind of, kind of a, a cool thing is that when you're talking, you're talking about you were actually in the thought process of, can I get this IP? I mean, right. a, a lot of people wouldn't even necessarily, you know, especially early on would just make something, you know, and not, not hope for care. the best. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, or not understand that there's an actual arrangement to be made and, and right. money to yep. exchange hands. So even there, that's, that's, that's a business piece. And then the other piece is nobody ever thinks about how many games they're actually going to have if they do that print run. Right. <laughs> and how many games will be sitting around and where that, where you're going to have the space for that. Right. And then, and then of course, again, back then you don't have, you don't even have eBay where you can throw them on eBay and, and dump them if you had to or something. It was like, no, the, you know, that wasn't even a glimmer, you know, anybody's <laughs> eye at that point. So it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to, I mean, how many like horror conventions are there? I don't even, you know, a couple. I'm, th- I'm literally thinking things like, okay, I'm going to adver- advertise in Fangoria. I know that's someplace I can advertise and I'll probably sell some there. 
you know, I'll go to game convention. I just, it just would not, it wasn't going to work. I mean, I was, re- I'm, I guess I was realistic. See, but all the things you're thinking about or, or, and you're talking about here, a lot of people wouldn't have even thought of. They would just be like, I got this, you know, I, this game has to be made and, you know, and, and I'm going to do it no matter what. Um, and, you know, we, we saw a lot of that, especially in the early days and oh, yeah. Kickstarter where people just, you know, I've got the, you know, everybody, everybody thinks they've got the greatest game in the world. We, it, we wouldn't make them if we didn't think we had really right. good games, but the reality of it doesn't set in until too late for some people. <laughs> And that was especially true pre-Kickstarter. Like you said, there wasn't that, the print-on-demand stuff. There wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I'm talking pretty early because, you know, print, on, uh, like the Game Crafter and stuff existed a little before uh, Kickstarter and all that stuff, but it was in its infancy. Um, so it wasn't something that a lot of people knew about. And like you said, I mean, you, you were sinking money into your passion projects back then. And yep. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe more than I think, but I, I think that was also kind of in a time where a lot of people didn't necessarily think about playtesting beyond, you know what, my group of friends really right. love this. Everybody must love it. Yeah. Uh, I actually somewhere, I know I still have the con, cause I had, I actually got to the point where I, I call, I call, I found out who had the rights. I called them and I talked to the guy and the person I talked to, I don't know how familiar you are with the living dead. But the guy in the beginning, the, the brother, Johnny, who, who plays, yes. you know, they're in the beginning with the cemetery and there's the sister and brother going to, to, to their mother's grave. And the brother, Johnny, I call and it's him. I'm, that's who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the, I, it was like surreal. But anyway, I, I, you know, we, he got to the point where he sent me a contract and everything. And I got pretty far along before, before the number, I just realized the numbers didn't add, didn't add up and it wasn't going to happen. That's cool. And uh, I'm I'm very familiar as I sit here and look at my massive shelves of horror, and I do a, a horror movie podcast. Oh, very cool, <laughs> very cool. So uh, I'm I'm a that's that's one of my geekdoms. Horror horror is one of my geekdoms. So <laughs> nice. I I think I'm I think I'm reaching like 700 horror movies that I'm looking at right now. Wow! Oh yeah. <laughs> no, that is awesome. And again, so many things there that most people wouldn't have thought of so really you were pretty early on in the in the business mindset of gaming which is something that i don't always hear that i mean sometimes i'll hear people like as soon as they got into it yeah they started thinking about the business side um but i mean you were pretty prepared and planned along the way yeah i guess uh, it's just see to me i always kind of i always thought that had something to do with being with being a gamer being you know board gaming because it makes you think strategically. It makes you look at the, the big picture and to look at all the various angles. So for me, it just seemed natural. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's not, it's usually passion wins out. <laughs> before we kind of, you know, you talked about you discovered Kickstarter and all this stuff. And before we get there, now that you've made a few games and you've, and you're no stranger to Kickstarter, and we'll get to that again in, in a few minutes. So now that you and, and Nick have made a few games, um, do you have like a design process you like to go through or is it still kind of fluid depending on the game? I would say it's, it's fluid depending on the game. Uh, we have, we have a process we go through, but we're not going to necessarily be in this, you know, we're not going to walk through A, B, C, D through it. You know, we may go A and then go to X 
and then come back and fill in the gaps. And it just depends on what clicks. Sometimes we get to a point where we know we're not, we're, that we're kind of at an impasse and we'll set it aside and then doing something else, we'll come back to it because something else will click or I'll see something that I connect and I'll bounce it off a neck and we'll go from there. So, yeah. Okay. And so since both you and Nick are involved in shooting in games, are, are you always collaborative on each game? Yeah, I'd say we have to be. <laughs> um, at this point, I mean, I, my, I would say like the, the first game, which was my, my first game, which is Legends and Lies, that, I mean, Nick certainly helped with that later, but before he really came into it, I had already had, it was already a game. Okay. But he definitely, he definitely helped improve it, as did everybody that played it over the years. And, uh, but now, you know, we'll have games where people, one of us will have more, of the idea or maybe do the, the first draft of it, if you will. But then the other, other person will come in and it just becomes a, cl- a collaboration and it's kind of hard to figure out like, Oh, is this my game or is this your game? It's just like, okay, at this point there are games. Right. Well, that, I mean, that was going to ask you that too is it, do, would it feel weird now to kind of go completely solo on a game? Oh yeah. I, I definitely, I think the one great thing about Nick and I, together as a team is that we both have really you know, really good strengths that complement each other. He's much more patient. He's much more of a number numbers person. You know, he's really, well, he's a scientist, as you know. So, you know, he'll, he brings, he brings that to the table. And I think I bring part of the thing I bring to the table is the, the fun, the theme, tying the things together, getting a feel for how things should work and, 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 and coming up with maybe some crazy mechanic or something. You know, not to say that he doesn't go into that and I don't go into his area, but that's kind of, kind of our strengths, I would say. Okay. I always like to get a sense of where playtesting comes in for people designing games. So where do you use playtesting and how important is it in your process? Oh, it, it, it's very important. The, one, one great benefit we have is that since we've been gaming for such a long time, we have lots of different groups of people that we can go to and places where we can send send games once once they're ready. And of course, we have our Scar Core group that we meet every Sunday. And all those, like you know, my friend Jim, he's been there from the beginning. He's been gaming for thirty years, to, you know, thirty plus years too. And his brother Jerry, like I said, you know, who was in footy pajamas when he started, you know. So we've got people that are really, 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 uh, you know, entrenched. I say, you know, and have a lot of experience right here. And I see this all, all the time where, where this is very clear is we'll get other games in that other people have played, that other people have created that like I've gotten off Kickstarter or somewhere and we'll play it and we, and often we can break it. <laughs> we can break the game or we, you know, we'll, we'll play a game and sometimes games that are quite popular. And we'll play it and we'll, and we'll get down and we'll finish it. And I'll say, does anyone disagree that the optimal strategy is X, Y, and Z? Nope. No, no, that's, that's obviously. Okay. We're done with this. Next. Yeah. It's, uh, my co-host really enjoys attempting to break a game. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when we get stuff for review, he's, he's always he's, looking for the, he's, he's now by, by the rules, <laughs> can I do this? Cause if I can, I just broke this game. <laughs> right. And we've actually, um, there's been a few games where like we've had the designer in Facebook message while we were playing it. And, uh, I remember us asking a question like, can you do this 
in this game. And he kind of came back with, not right now, but I was really thinking about doing that. And we is like, do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> because it will break your game. We've already we've already seen that. So don't do that. <laughs> All right. One of the other things I, I kinda wanted to ask you is, you know, obviously you enjoy your own games, but besides your own games, uh, what what are a couple games that you really enjoy right now? Uh well there's there's some that we we play a lot. Or, or over the years, like I always say that my my all time favorite game pro- probably is Acquire. That's that's way up there. Avalon Hills Dune and Cosmic Encounter, um, are, are, are other ones that, that, that are big. More like current games that, that I've liked recently, uh, Istanbul, I really like. Stockpile is another one. Mangrovia, I like code names. That's another one. If I can get people that, that's, that's kind of a later game, but that's yeah. one I, I still have not tried code names. I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah. My, my game group actually is not, is, is not big on it, but. There's a, and that's all, it's obviously kind of a limitation in, in one way, but I know, we know this. We know like cooperative games are not for my, are not for my group. We, we don't, they don't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she likes some of them now, but my fiance, the first time I had her play a cooperative game, she comes from a very competitive family <laughs> and, uh, and it took me forever her to get her to the concept of, no, we're, we're in this together. Cause it was always like, yeah, but how do I beat you? <laughs> like, well, you, you don't. We, we're trying to beat the board. Yeah. But I, I can be better than you. Right. <laughs> so, so it took a, but she, you know, she, now she likes things like Forbidden Island and, and stuff right. in different co-ops, but at her core. And then of course, when we try to play with her family, we go through it all over again. And, and usually right. Megan's off the side. Yeah. I asked all these questions the first time too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah eventually um, i know uh jordan has played code names a few times and i have yet to play it but i obviously it's one of those games where it kind of took off and blew up out of nowhere people it surprised a lot of people and i'd like to get it in at some point right yeah it's it's a lot of fun i i, I enjoy it. i enjoy it when i'm looking for that kind of lighter casual game all right so you talked about discovering Kickstarter and how it kind of started your thought process towards now some of these things are possible. So early on, what was your, I guess, initial impression of Kickstarter when you first discovered it? Oh, I thought it was amazing. I, I was just like, I really fell in love with it, not just for games, but for other things too. I'm, I'm a relatively he- you know, he- heavy packer of projects. Um, I just thought it, it was, fa- it was fascinating that People, you know, people, at least when I first started on it, a lot of it was obviously people, you know, with passion projects that they really wanted to get made. And I really liked that you could be part of that journey. Yeah. And the early, I always talk about the, uh, idea on a napkin days, the wild west days right. of Kickstarter, uh, the things that won't fly anymore. Oh, no. And that really didn't take that long to evolve out of. I, I think we maybe got a year, year and a half of that before. Um, it no longer flew. <laughs> right. And, and, oh, yeah. And it just evolved so quickly and continues to. So, um, I was, yeah, I, I joined in the early days too. Um, and it kind of drew me in and got me fascinated. That's why I do these interviews. That's part of what started the whole game of crowdfunding stuff because on the main podcast, I was talking crowdfunding and Kickstarter 
And everybody else was just looking at me like, well, when are you going to be done talking about this, Jeff? So the rest of us can right. do something. <laughs> so, and it's, so it's been a fascinating journey to kind of watch it evolve all the way through. And, uh, yeah, I mean, now we're in those days where, you know, uh, you'll, you'll get mocked and somewhat laughed off Kickstarter because there's every once in a while somebody still tries to put up a project that's, you know what? Here's what I want to do. Let me just tell you about right. it. Let me draw it up for you. But I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing for it yet. I just need the money for it to get to that stage. <laughs> and those just don't fly anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Risks and challenges, getting you guys to give me the money so I can make my game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you discovered Kickstarter. You fell in love with it. You decided that this was the route that you wanted to take some of your own creations. Can you... I mean, and again, just, I think you mentioned it briefly, but we'll just, you, you had the Legends and Lies. Right. Um, so that was like your first Kickstarter. That was successful, correct? Yes, it was. And then you had an expansion to Legends and Lies. Is that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And then, so that one was successful. And when Nick was on, of course, we were talking about looting Atlantis. Uh, right. And that was successful. So you've got a nice track record. Yes. <laughs> uh, and of course, what we're going to talk about here in a little bit is Conspiracy, which is already fully funded, which is awesome. And we'll talk about that soon. So you've, you've had this journey and you've had this wonderfully successful journey so far in Kickstarter. Say like from your first project to now, what are some lessons that you could kind of share with other people? Well, my, my first project, that was, that was absolutely a passing project. I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> um, and that project was successful through, I think, the power of, the power of my will <laughs> and my ability to, 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 you know, just get people interested, I guess, I guess. But I, I made so, I made so many of the very typical mistakes that people make that don't know when they come into Kickstarter and think, Oh, sure. I'll put my thing on Kickstarter and I'll just, you know, hit this, hit the, uh, you know, start button and sit back and watch the money roll in kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, you know, that's, I think that's what a lot of people think. And, and I, I was that way. I didn't think quite that naively, but I, I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to have to be working on this every day. That's, you know, that would be crazy. <laughs> Little did I know. Yeah. I, uh, I always say that, you know, Kevin Costner screwed everybody in Kickstarter because the if you build it, they will come concept does not work well there. <laughs> no. No, it does not. <laughs> well, I mean, it, there was a time where it did. I think it worked much better. Now that I think that's that's an exception. That's really hard to even get your foot in the door. There's no no way I think. Actually, I know my first project would not have been successful if I if I if I released it today. I'm just. Like conspiracy, everything about that project and this campaign is superior, I think, on every level, honestly. Maybe this is a good time then for us to actually tell people what conspiracy is all about. So uh, would you like to give your elevator pitch for conspiracy? Sure. In conspiracy, all the players are conspiracy theorists. You know, we all know that these conspiracies are all true. It's just for some reason, nobody will listen to us. And we've got to warn everybody before it's too late. You know, we've got to warn them about things like the reptilian overlords, you know, that the moon landing was fake, that they're cloning Hitler, you know, um, the Mayan apocalypse really happened. You know, you just missed it, you know, <laughs> stuff. And that's kind of what the concept of the game is. It's a, it's kind of a, a rummy style game with a lot, a lot of twists and turns in, in it. 
Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that because I was going to say something about it having that very familiar rummy feel, which, again, I, I appreciate sometimes those style of games because the other thing that my fiance and her family are are huge card players. So right. when I can introduce games that have that familiar feel but with some twist to it, it sometimes goes a lot better. So, right. So um, I just... I wasn't sure if uh, you were going for the rummy feel, and you knew that, and I didn't. Yeah. I didn't want to upset anybody. <laughs> no, no, not at all, because it's so different. I mean, every just to give you a couple of things uh, that every conspiracy has some ability attached to it, some effect that happens when you reveal it or when you strengthen it, because you can strengthen other people's conspiracies and your and your and yours to to basically make them more believable. And when you do, they give you some kind of in-game effect. Uh, that, that does something for you. Another, like, my cool mechanic that, that I, that I like, and I actually use this in Legends and Lies too, is the, the discard pile is referred to as the tabloids, like the old tabloid newspapers. I'm sure you remember, like, the Weekly World News. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, the president meets with aliens, Bigfoot marries woman, you know, there's all these kind of crazy stories, which, so, unlike other games in conspiracy, when cards that are in discard pile at the end of the round, that's the tabloids, and the reason it's called the tabloids is at the end you pick it up and you read the tabloids. And as you read through the tabloids, i.e. go through the discard pile, every card in there that matches a conspiracy in play, the largest conspiracy of that type loses the card because there's a story in the tabloids that discredits. Oh, you can see this, you know, obviously there's not reptilian overlords. They didn't meet the president. That's crazy, you know. And so that's kind of one of, one of the more interesting me- uh, mechanics. So besides trying to go out, trying you know trying to maximize and time the various effects to get to do different things you're also trying to track and manage what is in the discard pile because you don't want your stuff in there because if it is it's going to hurt you at the end yeah i i was looking at that earlier and i thought that was kind of interesting as well so yeah i do like i said i i like it when you can give some familiar mechanics to that the casual gamer kind of can feel comfortable in and wrap themselves in while just kind of showing them a few extra things. That's one of the reasons why I like diamonds. I I, I loved introducing the diamonds to my fiance and stuff because it's that regular trick taker with a twist. So something that, and they play like rummy style games all the time. So with the, the rummy feel with a twist, it's always nice to be able to go, okay, well, if you enjoy these things, you know, there's a bunch of games that do these things. Right. Right. Yep. (laughs) Sure. So that, that is, that is awesome. I, I love seeing that. Between looting Atlantis and conspiracy, what kind of changes did you feel you had to make to be ready for Kickstarter? Well, the big change I think I did with conspiracy, um, from looting Atlantis, besides some of the technical, like the more like nuts and bolts, like we decided to roll in like the free U.S. shipping in with the price this time. And when we tried with the list, we, we tried an experiment and had it add on later and, and it, we didn't like how that went. But the main thing was for me is I wanted the Kickstarter for conspiracy to be an experience. Okay. I didn't want it to be like every other Kickstarter. And I kind of, in some ways, I know I did things that they don't, that they don't even rec- They don't recommend. Like, for example, like our video, like they always say, your main video, it should be, you know, one to two minutes, you no, know, not longer than two minutes. It should have you in it, you know, talking about the project. It should show the components. It should blah, 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 right? They have all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not doing any of that. Literally, our video 
is a third, you know, cause, um, my background is, is in video production, television production. Uh, that's what my degree is in. So I said, I'm going to do instead, I'm going to do a 30 second commercial. It's going to be atmosphere. It's going to be theme. It's going to be mood. The box will be featured for five seconds maximum. And that's it. And that's what, and that was, that's what I did. You know, I carried it through on everything. Uh, even the update, if you go and you read my, the updates we've done so far, I've carried through that conspiracy theme with reward levels, with everything. I wanted it to be like, once you got here, you were in a different world and you, you were, everything just supported, su- supported the game and supported the theme. And I, I really like that the back of the card is like a redacted document. That's pretty cool too. <laughs> I think. So I, I think you've done a good job in kind of getting the the feel and the atmosphere and the theme, uh, even kind of through with your artwork. Oh yeah, if if you take a look at the uh, the the rule book, we we carried it through in there. That kind of looks like a tabloid uh, news <laughs> newspaper. You have stories in the front and back. Well, the, the front of the box you can see it. That's the front of the the the, the rule book too. But the back is similar with different stories that match the various conspiracies in the game. Awesome. I think I'd be a little remiss if I didn't talk about how much we, um, well, how much you, I, I kind of get there when I can, but how much we, uh, do Kickstarter hour <laughs> and, and how, how, uh, how helpful has that been for you? And, and what do you think of the idea of Kickstarter hour? Oh, I, I love Kickstarter hour. I, I, I definitely look forward to it. Um, it gives you a chance and to, to really talk with, not just people locally, but, but live, you know, not instead of just getting together for, you know, like, like we are right now for a podcast. It's, I, I think it's a little bit more of a, uh, you know, anybody can join. Mm-hmm. You get all kinds of angles on all kinds of subjects. And I, I think I've learned a lot and I hope what I've contributed has helped some people avoid some of the mistakes that I've made along, along the way. I would definitely highly recommend doing, especially, especially, if you're working on a, if you're working towards a first project on Kickstarter, take the time and and now it's it's on it's on Tuesday uh, Tuesday at two it's two Eastern I don't know uh, so I guess that'd be uh, uh, what was that one for you Yep, one p.m. Central. It's an hour, and there's a, every every week there's some there's some kind of uh, topic that that is discussed whether it be you know stretch goals or you know setting your your main Kickstarter goal or Kickstarter videos or different types of uh of of uh, things you can do there's all kinds of stuff it's it's really really uh, great and it's also a great place when you're building your project just, there's always a part where they, where they ask hey what are you guys working on what's going on and that's when you can throw it up there and say hey here's here's my conspiracy project that I'm working on I'm launching it on this date and what do you think or here's the video for it or do the pledge levels look right you can you can you have a really a, a big uh group of people that know their stuff and they actually offer things that they offer insights that you, that you one person can't have. You, there's just too much <laughs> and too many right. things. You know, there's always going to be somebody that looks at something a different way that you don't, that you didn't. Right. So, yeah. And again, if uh, people are unfamiliar, if you are aware of board game hour, which is Mondays at 1 PM central, um, that one happens every Monday while every Tuesday is, at 1 p.m. Central, so same time, just different day, is Kickstarter hour. And again, like Diane said, there's usually a, a topic that is covered every time. There's questions that will be answered uh, or asked, and everybody can kind of pitch in and, and give their answers. Um, it This is uh, on Twitter uh, using the hashtag Kickstarter hour, or 
if you're familiar with Nerf or if you're not familiar with Nerf, um, check out the show notes. I'll put a link in there, but that's N-U-R-P-H dot com. Uh, if you follow along there, it's a nice little, if you go there and sign in with your Twitter handle, you actually sit in a chat and it consolidates everything for you. You can watch it in real time there without the rest of your feed kind of getting in the way and stuff. So that's a great way to participate in Kickstarter hour as well. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of the old uh, AOL chat rooms. Yes. <laughs> that's what it reminds me. Oh, good Lord. You're keep, <laughs> you keep putting me in the way back machine. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> hey, well, so, all right. <laughs> uh, so for conspiracy, I mean, let, let's just kind of go back. I, obviously, I want to focus on it because this is the project that you've got running right now. Right. What made you decide that this was the game that you wanted to make when conspiracy was getting formed and designed? Um. Well, yeah, we already touched on Legends and Lies. Um, yes. mm-hmm. And... I had a basic engine, which I think was really, really good for, Le- for Legends and Lies, but, but it's a much, much, much simpler game. And I said, you know, I would like to build on that and make something like more of a gamer's game, you know, like a, a little bit, uh, you know, deeper and more levels to it. And so that's what I started thinking about. Well, how would I do that? What would I add? What would I change? And one of the ways I like doing this is when I start, as I try to find a theme works and i came up with the you know nick and i talking we came up with conspiracies um and i said this could be great and i started i immediately had idea okay we could do the philadelphia experiment and we'll link a power to it that when you play it you basically take something out of the tabloids into your into your hand you teleport because it's about teleporting you know so i see i see that you know i always try to do that with with themes i try to get everything i try to theme every single thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's like, well, wh- why wouldn't you do this? Does this happen? And I have an answer uh, because, okay, you know, this is mind control or this is that or whatever. And uh, that's that's kind of uh, what I built on. Now, the one other thing that was big was that we had talked about one where we'd done an expansion. And I was thinking that for a big expansion for Legends of Lies, you know, we had talked about doing artifacts, doing like all these strange you know, artifacts like the crystal skull or you know, Tesla's death ray or the Antikythera mechanism uh, and doing something with that. They say, cause those are so cool. And I, I could see that fitting into the theme and that was, and I said, but it's just too great of an idea. We're going to, let's make a new, whole new game. We'll, we'll make it with conspiracy. We'll make it with this. And we, and that's what we started with. Now, lo and behold, we worked on this for, for a long time, play tested it, sent out the play testers. It just got to the point where we just realized we, that the artifact, I would, I should say I did. This is one of those funny stories because I, you know, I just realized one day these artifacts are just not going to work. I mean, no matter how much I like them and I like the idea and I like everything about them, the whole mechanism, I like it, but it's too easy to break. And so I finally came to that realization and I, and I said to Nick, I said, when I often I play tested it by myself, I sat there and I play tested it without the artifacts. And then I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and talk to Nick about it. Talk to Nick about it. And he was, so opposed to it. Well, we must well throw the game out. You know, he's like, well, that's it. You know, that's the whole game. That's the whole thing. I'm like, no, it really isn't. I really think, you know, and so finally I convinced him to sit down. You know, I was just, you know, I just, this nice thing. Got him to sit down and play it literally halfway through the first game. He goes, this is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and I got up, I hugged him. I'm like, oh, <laughs> cause I really obviously needed him on board, uh, with, with that. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, so. Well, and that, that's one of those things. And I am assuming you guys have the, those moments as well, but I know like, especially when I first get ideas, right. And I've talked about this on the podcast as well, but when you start putting things and formulating things in your head before they even hit paper, before they even start getting constructed, I mean, it's, again, it's the best game ever. It's like people should be throwing you a parade for thinking of this idea. <laughs> and, and, so, and, you know, so you've got this build up hype. And of course, everything always works perfectly in your head, right? And of course, like, this works. And then, oh, and then this happens and this happens. And yeah. oh my God, how can not everybody just want this right now? Yeah, it's going to be so cool. People are going to be falling all over themselves when they see this. This is so awesome. Nobody's ever done this before. I know. And then you kind of get it down and you get like some of those first plays through and you go, well, crap. <laughs> I got to think about this some more. Oh, yeah. And, and the thing that we kept on, like we go, we would play it for a while and then we'd fix, fix it. Mm-hmm. And then we'd play it for a while again and then it'd get broken again and we'd fix it. It was just nonstop. And after months, it's just like, you know, everything else we had working perfectly. All the, we, we had gotten by that point, we'd gotten all the various conspiracies. We had all their effects. We had them working, working well. We had, you know, what you did on your chart. We had all this stuff. Everything really worked well, except for the artifacts, which were the, <laughs> really the big thing that we started with. We just could not get it to work. But once we, we literally, once we removed that and we, once we said, okay, we're going to let that die. It just was bam. It was, it was perfect. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, so we've done the elevator pitch. We talked about a little bit of the design. And, of course, it's on Kickstarter right now. So if people are looking to get a copy of the game, what is what is it going to set them back, Diane? Do I do I got to go take a loan out? Not at all, actually. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's only it's 19 bucks. OK, and that includes U.S. shipping, you know, and it's, you know, big full, you know, Two-piece box. It's not 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 some crappy cheap uh, tuck box or anything. Two-piece box, full color rule book. Uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, and I'm really happy this time. If you look at the uh, the, the the art on it, I think it's, I, I, the art's really uh really cool. Uh, you know, we went with. A, I decided early on that I wanted to do a a group of artists rather than just one artist doing the whole thing. So, did you go with um, by conspiracy or? Yep, that's okay, exactly. Hey, it. Hey, there you go. See, hey, I'm, so, I, I'm thinking like a like a designer sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking. So I'm, I would sit there and I'd say, okay, well, like, okay, for example, uh, role playing is devil worship is one of the conspiracies, <laughs> um, and the proof for that is the demonic monster manual. Of course, proof for that, obviously. Um, and I had one of my friends on Facebook, and I'd seen her drawings, and she does she does a lot of black and white. I don't know what style you'd call it, but this kind of black and white style of artwork that was really cool. And that, of course, as you, you probably know that maybe it does, that goes back to the old Jack Chick, Chick tracks yeah. where they would, they would hand out those Chick tracks that talked about how role playing, you know, would corrupt your soul and everything else. And so I wanted that set to have, I wanted it to, to look like it was basically taken out of a Chick track. And so I sent her Chick track and I said, uh, you know, it turns out she's a, she's a gamer too. And I said, can, can you do, can, can you do this? And she, what she came up with was amazing. And if you look at it and you look, there's little, little details like the, the girl's necklace has like a, a 20 sided die and, and four sided die and stuff on it. And the manual, the, the cloaked figures are holding, you, you might recognize if you look really closely, you know, so that's what I did kind of for, for, for each. I had one main illustrator that I had to a, a few of them. But then other ones I went through, like, you know, like Area 51, I wanted somebody that had a very technical style that looked very real, realistic. 
you know, it's because you're doing like a spaceship and a hangar, you're doing stuff like that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I did for each one. And I, I think that, that really worked out. Cool. All right. So this is usually about the time where I ask the question, let's say somebody's been listening to this and, you know, we've told them that it's $19 with uh, domestic U.S. shipping. Um, we, you just talked a little bit about the art, but let's say they're still kind of on the fence. Um, so what are a couple things that you can tell people to make them go, yeah, you know what, Diane, you're absolutely right. I have to back conspiracy right now. Well, one of the things I obviously that I've mentioned and we've talked a lot about is I'm a long time gamer and I have a long, I mean, I know I, so many people I meet have not been alive as long as I've been gaming. <laughs> That's literally true. It's kind of scary, but it's true. So my group and, and us, we don't, we know what makes, what, what, what makes a good game and we know what makes a bad game. We know when games are broken. So we know something that's good and that we, that we would play over and over again. And that's something that I look for. I don't look for a game that you're going to play once or twice and then that's it. I want a game that you can pick it up and you're going to want to play it again and again. And I have people like one of, one of uh, the couples that usually games here, they, they're retired now and they, they go back and forth between Colorado and here and they take the game with us. They, they came back from a cruise and they said, we, we, we just got from the cruise. Oh, we brought conspiracy on the cruise with us. We were playing it on the cruise, literally on the cruise. They're, they're playing conspiracy. So it's a very, very low investment for a game that you're going to play that, that, that's going to, going to get a lot of play and it's going to surprise you. There you go. And of course, like we said earlier as well, you know, if you've got somebody that is familiar with the Roman right. style card games, of course, this might be a good way to show them a few more mechanics while still keeping them within their comfort zone. <laughs> right. It's, it, it has the, the, some familiar, gaming aspects that it can make it sort like sort of a, a gateway game but there's that there's much much more to it but that was one of the things i did design it for i i really wanted to make it easy to learn i wanted something I, I, that's i worked really hard to streamline it make it simple to learn and then once you start playing it you start going oh now i see i can do this with this and if i wait till then then you know and you start figuring it out while you're playing it and i think that really is, makes a game engaging uh, before we wrap up, is there anything that I uh, should have covered that I was a horrible host about and did not? Is there anything you want to make sure we talk about before we wrap up? Not that I could think of, but I do like always saying, with, especially with this game, it's about conspiracies, and I like Easter eggs. <laughs> All right. There you go. <laughs> and if people are interested in uh, what you and Nick are doing over at Shoot Again Games, how can they find you on the internets? Well, how can they stalk you? Uh, obviously, uh, Twitter at Shoot Again Games, Shoot Again Games on Facebook, and ShootAgainGames.com. Oh, and that's one other thing that I, I should mention that I think is a, one great tip is ConspiracyCardGame.com goes to the go, is now directed to this. Before I launched the Kickstarter, it was directed to the Prefundia, and after this, it will be directed to to the uh, the you know, order, the ability to order, and so having that consistent url i think is something that i, I learned by actually first with looting atlantis but i think because if you go to lootingatlantis.com same thing so it's uh you what is it conspiracy card game card game.com okay yeah. so you're able to to get that url you were able to get that domain and then now you can point that url wherever you need it so and and again for anybody that's wondering why that might be 
because then you are always constantly pointing somebody to a domain that you own and not necessarily having them try to find you on Kickstarter and all that good stuff. And then once everything is done, if, if they remember that URL, then they can also catch up with and order afterwards directly from you. Right. And, and also anything, any advertising that you print or anything that you have handed out, if you know something I handed out right. at Origins last year, somebody picks it up and they go to conspiracycardgame.com, they're going to come to the Kickstarter. Or if it's over, they're going to go to the, the, the pre-order. Yes. So that is uh, a, a very solid tip that we got in there. <laughs> yeah, I just... Yeah. So um, before we wrap up here, of course, Conspiracy is on Kickstarter right now. It goes until February 25th, 2016. And... They were looking for $2,012. They are currently at $5,724 as of this recording. So that is awesome. They are fully funded. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, if you heard us talking about it, definitely go over to conspiracycardgame.com, which will take you to the Kickstarter uh, while it's active. And you can check out the, like uh, Diane said, the 30-second video they did for their main video. Of course, there's also some how-to-play stuff. You can, you know, look at, uh, you know, what other people have to say about it, all that good stuff. And if there's something that interests you, definitely go over there, put down your $19 and get yourself a wonderful game from a company that has a successful track record on Kickstarter right now. That is, of course, important these days as well as we kind of get into various campaigns that either don't fully fulfill or, uh, vanish or, 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 or do subpar campaigns. You know, we're talking Diane and Nick have four campaigns now, three that are successful and already done, and now this fourth one, and um, they are no stranger to the process. All right, Diane, thank you very much for hanging out with me tonight. Thank you so much. It was a great deal of fun. It was. uh, We've we've communicated quite a bit online, so it was nice to kind of sit down and have a a virtual face-to-face conversation, I guess. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you very much for hanging out with us and listening to us talk about conspiracy. Uh, again, conspiracycardgame.com. Go check that out. And of course, I will be back and Paul will be back with more interviews in the very near future. Thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Broken Prism Reviews, a YouTube channel bringing you game reviews in three parts. Unboxing, express gameplay, and a quick rundown of what makes the game stand out. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.